Hey, Anna. Yo. Why is there mannequin butt? Uh, sometimes you just gotta sexy up your living space. Wrong answer. Cassidy, why is there mannequin butt? Um, so you can make sure your pants fit. That's actually kind of reasonable. Hi, I'm Adam, and you're listening to Common Rider AA. We, today we watched and are recapping episode six of Common Rider Zero One. Zero one zero one zero. It's a good OP. And I don't know why the fuck there was mannequin butt, and it's bothering me. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, in the uh, metsubojinrai.net base, there's just a tiny little mannequin butt on one of the shelves. I think that was the model for uh, like the, the, the mold they used for Jin's butt when uh, Hirobi made the, the Humagear body. That actually checks out, and I can actually accept that, but why would he have a model of his own butt? Um, because, you know, you, it's hard to look at it, your own. Have you ever tried? Well, I have. Yeah, but sure, it's hard, but why would you want to? Sometimes you gotta know you're feeling sexy. Sounds like someone has a disappointing butt. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. But yeah, that I'm joined by Anna and Cassidy as, as per usual. Yo, I'm the Cassidy one. Uh, I'm Anna. I am here. Sorry, I, I, I'm a little distracted because when you introduced yourself, I thought you were going to say, and this is the Disney Channel. <laughs> no, I, I won't sink to that low. And you're watching Common Rider Double A, and then I make like a little cricket shape, but with the magic wand. And when you actually trace my hand movements, it looks nothing like whatever I was supposed to draw. Wait, I'm sorry, a what shape? I said a cricket. It's a Mickey Mouse. No, for Common Rider. You know, a grasshopper. They don't draw a psychic for That's So Raven or like twins for Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. They don't. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't say the Disney Channel. I said Common Rider Double A, didn't I? <laughs> you did say that. I'm sorry. I am the fool. I am the April fool. Yeah, put your jingly hat on. Ding, ling, ling. Yes, dance court just a dance. Anyway, this episode was pretty solid and i'd like to get into it if if you two are ready it is this episode is i want to hear your voice episode six of common rider zero rut one written by masaya kahehi kakehi and uh, takayuyi shibasaki uh this is the second episode written by uh, masaya uh, he wrote my passionate manga path uh but yes this this is i want to hear your voice which I feel like I should be able to make like a reference with that title, but for some reason I can't. Like, I just can't. I don't think it's a specific reference to anything. It's just kind of a nice sounding phrase. Like, I, I know, but like I, feel, like, I feel like it's been used so much that I should be able to, but my mind is just blanking. So to begin our synopsis, the cold open puts us in a voice recording studio where the voice actor Humagear from last episode, who is named Sene, she is recording lines for the anime adaptation of Perfuman. No, they, they cut out the blade in the anime adaptation. Nobody knows why. It's just one of those weird things that the uh Yeah, instead of holding a swords, they just have their they have just have their hands out. Like they would be holding swords, but there's no swords. Yeah, they uh, edited them out for uh yeah, for censorship. <laughs> Uh, four kids is actually directing the Perf- Perfy Man uh, anime. No. Anyway, Arto and Izu are there at Fuwa's behest as part of a cooperative endeavor with Ames. 
I enjoy the fact that they are uh, sort of seeding in future episodes and previous episodes. Like, we saw Sane the first time last episode, and she was just a humagear in the world. And, like, because it's a TV show, seeing a character given a name, you immediately go, oh, that character's going to show up later, most likely. But it's still fun to have it seeded in. Unless you're me and you immediately forget everyone's name almost immediately, unless they show up like five times in a row. But yeah, as the recording ends, they all step out. Fua sort of arrests Seine's manager, Seiji Tazawa, on suspicion of violating a provision of the Special AI Act. I think it's less an arrest and more like bringing him in for questioning. Like it's the step right below arrest. Yeah, he does say for suspicion of true then we get the op which we never really addressed it but this op is a banger it's very good it's definitely in top five common rider ops although break the chain is just fucking slaps even harder than anything else in the world windy city also pretty good god there's so many good common rider ops if if i if it didn't sound like an editing nightmare i would want to do a like review and ranking of them like i would want to have the actual music be put into it but that's copyright and editing shit anyway after the op we see that jen is contemplating what hirobi said last time about his being hirobi's son jen you are my son hirobi walks in and jen asks if they're really father and son Hirobi affirms this and tells Jin that it's time to go after Zero One's progress keys. Back outside the recording studio, we see Aruto asking Fua what Fua is planning to do with Tozawa. Fua cites a law that prohibits the creation and usage of androids that are made in the likeness of an actual person. He brushes aside Aruto and points out that Sene looks exactly like Tozawa's deceased daughter. This law interests me because I, I am just curious as to how the law is enforced. Because obviously in the case like this, where a man recreates his daughter as a humagear, like you can point that out and say, hey, this man should be charged under this thing. Or like if somebody makes an exact copy of a famous celebrity, that's a case that would be relatively easy to prosecute. But say if... You go up to somebody and it's like, hey, they designed this human gear, which looks nearly identical to this person, but you can't prove a connection between those people or prove that they, that the perpetrator knew that the victim existed. How would you be able to properly prosecute that case? How would you be able to prove that there's a connection between this and not that it's a coincidence of a limited number of facial features? I think that there you don't need to prove. I think it is just a matter you can charge a coincidence. And you know, maybe to have like a separation, you know, like uh, how murder has third and first degree, you know, stuff like that. This would be a third degree violation of a the special AI intelligent act. Although I don't think, I mean, I guess it depends on like the way like someone's like. Um, consent works like when they're deceased you know because when you think about stuff like oh this author's estate is handling the legal stuff after they passed away if she's deceased theoretically there is a way in which the father does have the ability to say 
no, I can, I think I consent to this happening. I wonder if likeness laws in, in Japan are different than in the United States, because that would be a question. But in any case, Jen pulls up in a taxi, having hacked its Humagear driver. The driver transforms into a palette-swapped Onikomagia and begins attacking the group. Wait, is it palette-swapped? The first Oniko had some red on it. This one was more bluish-black. I did think it was a different one because I didn't remember the name of the other one. Fuwa Henshin's into Vulcan. He does a cool flip when he does it. And Naruto tries transforming into Flying Falcon form, but this new Oniko swipes the key from Naruto's hand and tries flying off. So he goes with Rising Hopper instead. Yep. Before it can get far, Vulcan shoots it out of the air. Naruto Henshin's into Rising Hopper form and they double-team the Oniko. It's kind of uh, neat, I guess I would say, that uh, Aruto went straight for the form that defeated it the previous time. Because, like he said, I know exactly how to deal with you guys. In need of reinforcements, the Oniko turns some security guards into trilobites. One of these trilobites corners Sene and Tazawa and damages Sene's ear fin. Apparently, uh, heat and intelligence replaces all of the Humagear d- attacks uh, destroyed or corrupted by Metsupojinrai.net within 24 hours. And like, man, these attacks must just bleed the money so much. Well, they didn't start until recently. Like, think about how many, like, how much must a Humagear cost and how much must, like, each attack where several of them are, end up being corrupted. Yeah, but, like, this is the, what, the sixth week now when, like, eight of them get corrupted? Heathen Intelligence seems to be in a position similar to, like, an, an Apple, maybe. Or, at the very least, like, a a, a Motorola or a Samsung. I, I don't think they're hurting for money for, I don't know, losing, let's say, 2K's worth of technology because the rest of the technology in the show seems to be at a similar level. I mean, it all, it all it all adds up eventually. They have a space satellite that can 3D print things, have circuitry in them and stuff. Like... And shoot down robot animals that turn into powered armor. Yeah. Anyways, not only does it damage her ear fin, you can also see the little SD card in it from before. You know? The, the famous little micro SD? Backwards compatibility. Never loses its uh, style. Jen approaches with an MJ.net belt that he intends to slap onto Sene, but Tozawa begs him to leave Sene alone, calling Sene his child. So I would like to say that uh, something that I think this is interesting and that doesn't really get completely addressed is that Jin deciding to give her a belt means that she is close to singularity. Yeah, but... How would Jen know that? It, Hirobi never really pointed it out, or at least we never see him do so. I think that the singularity thing may not necessarily be a requirement for, like, just a generic Magia. Like, I don't think the taxi driver hit singularity. I think they just slapped a belt on him and was like, all right, you can be a bat now, too, because we just need you to do one thing. I mean, I, I, I think Trilobites don't need singularity, but I think for the full-on Magia, it does need to be, I don't know, just my opinion. Well, the difference between the Magia and the Trilobite are not, like, 
just based on what we see alone, the difference is the funny belt. They're at, the trilobites are created by actual Magia through being stabbed with the screensaver, so they're, they're the mook level after all. Or perhaps that's why this Oniko Magia is, is not red. Maybe it's, maybe it's not you know, fully powered up like it could have been if it was a true singularity. I, I believe that unnamed taxi driver achieved singularity. Much like that bus driver, he just played that uh, completely uninteresting driving game and that just sort of pushed him over the edge. But yeah, uh, Tozawa calling Sene his child elicits an actual reaction from Jin, who recalls Hirobi's words, and, and he therefore hesitates to hack Sene. This gives Vulcan enough time to clear some room for Sene and Tozawa, allowing them to escape. Yeah, apparently Fuwa just switched over to punching Kong at some point off screen. He sends a rocket punch that knocks a trilobite away and gives them room to get out. Uh, the big phone is back. Yep. Zero One calls it down and chases after the Oniko on, on the motorcycle. Earlier when I was on the Comrader w- uh, wiki, I saw under uh, tri- uh, notes slash trivia that this episode is the is titled the exact opposite of... Ultraman Taiga's 15th episode, I Can't Hear Your Voice. And at first I thought, oh, that's dumb. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. But then I looked it up right now, and they aired uh, three days apart. Or no, six days apart. So even if it is still a coincidence, it's still a funny coincidence now. Uh, anyways, Aruto does the sickest move ever and just leaps his bike up vertically and then leaps off of it and then summons the biting shark robot to henshin into biting shark and then does biting impact in midair all in like one fluid motion it's really cool but upon landing zero one is dismayed to see that the falcon key is near is nowhere to be found we then cut to Jin gloating over the stolen key in daybreak town his jubilation is sh- is soured a little bit as he reflects over what tozawa said and i am com- saying is my daughter he's got to think about family this would be more compelling if there wasn't mannequin butt in the background. Would you like it more if it was replaced by just like a full-on bust of Vin Diesel? <laughs> I think that would. I think I would. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, if Jin and Hiromi were Fast and Furious fans, it's about family. Family. During the climactic fight of the episode, he. Jin just gets ran run over by a car before he can slap the belt on Sene. 1970 Dodge Charger just comes flying in. No, no, Vin Diesel shows up and stops Hirobi from reprogramming Jin. You don't mess with family. MJ.net may be strong, but it's not as strong as family. <laughs> family. That meme is that meme is just too good. It's too good. <laughs> yeah, so. Jen is a little pensive over what Tozawa said about family and Sene being his child. Oh, Dominic Toretto, we're in it now. We next see Yua being instructed to destroy MJ.net by her mysterious boss. The boss gives her the Lightning Hornet key, which is 200% more powerful than Rushing Cheetah. Apparently, Yua's mysterious boss believes in her power enough that he's just like yes if i tell her to destroy metsubojinrai.net it will be done 
Well, think of it this way. If she's been doing, like, a pretty... If she managed to defeat a Magia at, like, rushing Cheetah power, 200% more power. True, that is, a, that, that is twice as much power. That's a total of 300% power. Right, it's 200% more. So, yeah, that, that is 300% of rushing Cheetah. That, that, that's three common Riders. She could take out uh, most of the crew at this point. If it wasn't for Jin getting his belt, he could take, she could take out all the other Riders in the show. She does seem a little... I don't know if she's just being polite or in that subordinate sort of way, but she does seem kind of touched by the trust that her boss is putting in her. Like, like ima- imagine if, like, you you worked for, like, a shady like tech company or something and was like uh hey boss what do you need me to do now and he's just like i want you to get rid of isis here's a gun that shoots two t- three times better than your old gun get to it <laughs> not only is it a gun that does that but it also is like armor you know the, the whole package it lets you fly it's like got a jetpack there it shoots bees it's like if if like it's just like a cop was like turn in your badge and gun. I'm giving you the Iron Man suit. <laughs> I was about to say the Iron Man suit. <laughs> it's like hey, here's the Iron Man suit. Get rid of terrorism. But moving on, in Tazawa's office or apartment, I'm not sure which one it is or if it's both. I, I think it's his apartment because I'm I'm pretty sure I saw like a kitchen in there. It feels very a house. Maybe he works out of home. Who knows. Arto and Izu are running a diagnostic on Sene. Tozawa reboots Sene and suspiciously hides a photo of his daughter, Sumire. Oh, also important is that uh, Izu says uh, she's been damaged, but I don't see any impairment. But knowing that he can't hide shit, Tozawa proceeds to grovel before Arto. It's kind of hilarious. How, like, he makes the bare minimum effort to hide the picture of his daughter that Haruto has already seen. And then it goes, all right, listen, I know I committed the crime, but please don't turn me in. Uh, and then he gets a call. And while he's on the call, Haruto is just going on a full on facial emotion adventure. <laughs> he's already reached level 17 and he's recruited a mage to the party. Haruto is about to reach singularity. <laughs> It's such a good episode for Aruto and finally learning what was up with his robot daddy. Tozawa explains that Sumire died to illness just as her, as her career as a voice actress was taking off. Sene then reactivates and calls Tozawa Papa, presumably on account of the lingering damage from earlier. The thing is, I'm pretty sure the reason she called him Papa is just because she she saw they were in the apartment and was like, oh, in the apartment, that means it's time for me to switch to calling him Papa. And it's fucking weird. Okay, but here's the thing, is like, the moment she like realizes what's happening, her face like expression entirely shifts to like, either, oh, I fucked up, or, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen at all. Where did that come from? It's a it's a, a negative facial expression. I think it's the I fucked up one because Tazawa does say you're not supposed to do that in front of other people. Yeah. If we still did Monsters of the Week, I would probably do Tazawa. I think his mourning process is not very healthy. It's pretty fucking weird. I think it's not healthy, but it's also like not harmful. It's not a sex thing. So, like, it's already about 
200% better than it could have been. We don't know it's a sex thing. I'm pretty sure it's not a sex thing. 110% sure it's not a sex thing. But yeah, Sene realizes her mistake. Tozawa gets that call saying that Sene got into the final round of auditions for a movie, and he relays that news to Sene. Which, like, apparently it's the Perfume Man movie, so, like, I'm I'm confused about whether this is if she's auditioning for the Perfume Man anime, or if she's like um, auditioning for a role in the Perfume Man movie. It's an anime movie, I think. Well, yeah, but like the the way the way the previous um, uh, dialogue was, like I, during the episode itself, I was like, oh, she's auditioning to like get the role of like the heroine in Perfume Man Blade. But apparently, she's like doing the role of like the one shot heroine in the Perfume Man Blade movie, Perfume Man Blade the movie, the Sword of the Holy Star. Okay, so they get the audition for, like, a separate thing afterwards. So I, I I think it is, like, maybe she's on the show, but the movie... Okay, stay with me here. The anime that she is doing the voice acting for might be, like, a, a sequel, like, the new season thing, new character stuff going on. Like, uh, um, God, I'm trying to think of a good example. Sai um, and Naruto Shippuden? Like, yeah, Naruto and Naruto Shippuden. Um, is the one that I thought of right before you said it. Uh, but then, like, you know, they're doing a movie for the the version before the new thing, so it's like the the movie that would be in between the two, and there's a one shot character in there that she's getting the role for, different voice, but same overall program. I it's I guess it wouldn't be unheard of to have a voice actor cover this two different roles in the same franchise. They double up all the time. Anyway, Tozawa shows Aruto out and tells him that Sene won't actually be attending this audition and that she'll be turned over tomorrow. They're leaving Tozawa's place when Aruto confides and that he had a similar familial relationship with Ahimagir, who helped him get through the mourning process after his father's death. And now everyone who is like, why is his father a robot, had their questions answered. And so like, here's the thing, right, is... The reason I don't think the, the the father in you know the current episode situation is I think he's in like kind of an okay position is because we were showing that the main character of the show had a very similar situation and it as read as being oh this was a good thing. I think it is really interesting if AI and humans can form family units. I if we just saw it here, we saw two different versions of it here. Don't hit me with that if shit. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a cool concept to explore in sci-fi, I should say. Uh, but I th- I don't know. it As replacements for dead family members, though, I think that's kind of icky. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how to articulate it, though. I think it's slightly better if the human is a child and it's being used to help with caretaking rather than if it's an if it's an adult trying to go through the mourning process by getting a replacement like i don't, I don't know like i feel like i shouldn't be weirded out but by it but i am and i'm trying to figure out which way i should lean well so the thing is it's not like a full-on like actual replacement he like he doesn't call her by the daughter's name and and like the only times he's like 
that's my child is it's like high moments of stress like being attacked by an evil robot and apparently when there aren't guests at home yes okay there's that but like it's not uh, from like the the point of view that we are seeing like for the most part aside from like the one or two instances otherwise it is very much like kind of on the level and i can only judge by what we're seeing in the show right yeah but Presumably, the Himagir that was Arto's guardian was made in the... Well, we don't have full confirmation, but presumably that one was made in the image of Arto's actual father, and Arto referred to that one as dad. I guess if humans are so easily replaceable with with machines, then I don't know. It, it seems to deval- devalue human life if if we can just replace people like that. What are you telling me that human gears are tools to be used, Adam? <laughs> are you saying that a human life is diminished when it has a similar uh, a life come in performing a similar action once it's gone? Yeah, it's it's the replacement goldfish trope. I don't view this as re- replacement. I one hundred percent think this is like a uh, a grief tool. I don't think that he's going to go for the next twenty years using this robot as like a crutch for his do- like a replacement for his daughter's life. I think it's this is this was three years ago. That is really recent when it comes to a major family member grief. Yeah, that that's true. That's valid. But what's going to happen to the to Sene if he? If Tozawa comes to terms with Sumire's death, are they just going to continue that arrangement? I have a feeling that the human gears are not going to. Like they, I, I bet a human gear has a shelf life. Well, I wonder: is a human gear the physical body, or is the human gear the programming? And are those things possibly separate? I, further in the episode, another wrench gets thrown into all this, but. Let's go ahead and move on. I want to get to that because it's weird. And Yeah, I, I think I know what wrench you're talking about, and I'm excited to get there to discuss that too. Yeah. I, I love that we're all having some slightly differing opinions on this. This is some juicy drama. Uh, Fuo walks up and tries to resume questioning Tozawa. Naruto literally holds him back from just arresting the man then and there. Yep. He pleads with Fuwa to give Tozawa and Sene three more days which is two more than he asked for. Time enough to get through the movie audition. Aruto tells Fua that he'll take responsibility for Tozawa and Sene. So I really like this because it shows a growth in Aruto and Fua's relationship. Like, mm-hmm. they're friends. Like, no, I, I don't. They're not friends. They're like friendly. I, I think it's even bigger than that because at the beginning of the series, Fua wouldn't do that because in his mind, from what happened after Daybreak Town, human intelligence doesn't take responsibility for what happens. It will always deny and hide the truth and crush down opposing voices. But Arto, who's proven several times, no, I'm not like that. Like, I believe in not, like, brushing things under the rug. It's like, okay, if he says he will take responsibility, I trust him to. And I think that's even more powerful than them being friendly. I mean, that's kind of what I meant by it. Like, you know, this is kind. This reads to me as like Aruto asking for a favor, and like that's the kind of favor that you really only ask of someone that you are are on like a friendlier term with. Especially compared to the fact that they were like bitter enemy like level at the beginning, like you were saying. And a lot of that does 
come from Fuwa recognizing, no, this is Aruto, this is not Hiden president, this is this guy that I know. At Daybreak Town, Jin is asking Hirobi if it's natural for parents to protect their children. Hirobi says that Jen is strong enough to get by without his protection. Jen then turns in the Flying Falcon key, and Hirobi instructs him to collect some more. So at this point in the episode, if y'all can recall your emotional feelings, what did you guys think about their uh, parental-child relationship here? Hirobi's an abusive dad. Alright. I think Hirobi's just straight-up lying to him to begin with. I think... He has fucking nothing to do with the creation of Jin. Interesting. So you think someone else built him, and he was like, all right, I'll take this human gear and raise it to be my murder bot? Yes. Okay. I, I don't think it was like one person built. I think it was like this was a, a human gear that wasn't destroyed when the factory went to shit. This was like on the assembly line, like finished but not activated kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that that's plausible. Definitely. The time comes for the audition. Sene takes the stage and seemingly malfunctions. She either channels the real Sumire Tazawa or recalls footage that she watched in order to better emulate her. And okay, we have to unpack this. This read to me as being like fucking actual memories and shit. Not like that the robot had memory, but like that, like. For some part of the process involved uploading like some sort of memory style data, which is fucking wild to even think about. Or Sumire's a ghost and possessed Sane. Could be. You know what? That's 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 plausible. I do like that more mystical interpretation, but I, I'm not sure how much to buy into it though. It's... But how are we supposed to buy into like so th- there are three interpretations now. Ghost Sumire. Uh, Sene watched footage that I guess like of like home videos and that and she sort of confused that with her own memories based on her uh, play acting as Sumire before or somehow somebody uploaded Sumire's memories and Tazawa maybe the one who uploaded them and uploaded them to his human gear with his expertise as a voice acting manager it, the thing, the reason I don't think it was she was watching videos is because who the fuck makes a home video of your loved one's last words as they are saying goodbye to you on their deathbed? Exactly, head? exactly. And also, uh, Izu earlier states, like in a previous episode, Izu states that heart can't be digitized. Kingdom Hearts has proven that wrong. <laughs> hey, this is a this, this is on the other side. This is the real world. Right? It, there are different rules when it comes to hearts, depending on which side of the uh, great star divide you're on. I can't. I don't know what the name of what's the barrier between the real world and the world that uh, Kingdom Hearts takes place in is called. What the fuck are you talking about? I know. What are you talking about? It's in the musical one, Ansem goes the real world, and that's the world where like Yazora lives. No, no, no. Yazora lives in the world of fiction. Okay, wait, hold up, sorry. Back it down. So there's the world of Kingdom Hearts. Which world is that? That is that is the quote, real world. Okay, so Sora and the like live in the real world. Then Yazor's world is the fictional world. Yes. Okay, and then between that, there's that, like... Unreality. Unreality, okay. That is, that is reality versus unreality. And then there's the place where, like, 
Sora was talking to the star that was like, I want you to find Yazora. And what's that place called? I I don't remember the name of it, but it's basically just like fucking I I read it as purgatory. It's very like, purgatory esque. Uh question. Who's Yozora? I only played one chain of memories in th- two. Well, okay, so here's the thing is Yozora is only in Kingdom Hearts three and it Was he the bonus boss in that game? It was the bonus boss of the DLC. And and is the fictional character that exists in the fictional video game in the Toy Story level of Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah. When you enter the Toy Story world, you all of a sudden see three Final Fantasy as fuck motherfuckers just fighting in a city trying to save this woman. And then it cuts out and it's like a Virum Rex. A commercial. Yeah, it's a yeah. commercial for Virum Rex, the video game. And Yazora is the name of that and uh, Rex, the dinosaur from Toy Story. I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, constantly confuses Sora for Yazora because Yazora is an anime boy that has an action figure. Then in the DLC, uh, Sora's doing some dream heart bullshit and ends up in like that purgatory we were talking about and talks with the shining star. And it's like a one-sided conversation, I believe. And he finds out he needs to go find somebody. Then he goes to Shibuya, in, which is in the unreality and uh, fights Yazora, who he faith believes is the person he was sent to find. And Yazora is trying to kill Sora because, like, why do you have his face or something like yeah. that? You're not the real Sora, or if you are, you're going to defeat me, kind of thing. And then, depending on if you win or lose the fight... You get a different cutscene. <laughs> yeah, well, a- after you fight Yazora, you win or lose, and then Yazora wakes up in a limo... And someone who might be Luxord or Luxord somebody is driving the limo and is like, so what did you think? And Yuzora looking out the window in a parallel to Final Fantasy versus 13, the original concept trailer for Final Fantasy 15. Done by Tetsuya Nomura. Yeah, who's doing most of the Kingdom Hearts stuff. And he says, what does he say, Cassidy? You're the Kingdom Hearts expert. Oh, I don't know. I haven't watched... I never played the DLC, and I've only watched the cutscenes, and it's been at least six months since I watched those cutscenes, because I, I rewatched them at some point between original and now. Um, all I know is that whatever they say in the other version of it, if you winning or losing, it's Sora's voice that says them, I think. And if you lost the fight against Yazora, uh, who's voiced by Zack from of Zack and Cody fame... Yes, the one that isn't Jughead. Yes, unfortunately, Jughead doesn't voice Yazora. Or fortunately, because it means both twins are getting work. But if you lose the fight, Sora turns into like a crystal statue on top of the 412 building in Shibuya. Nomura, what the fuck are you doing? I love Kingdom Hearts. It's a good game. I was talking about how in Kingdom Hearts 2, this is something you should know about, Adam. In Kingdom Hearts 2, uh, uh, Diz, uh, or Ansem the Wise... Right. Uh, fires a beam at Kingdom Hearts to try to turn it into data. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, you can digitize hearts. Well, you can digitize that in reality, but in unreality, you can't. Uh, and in Recoded, a digital construct gains a heart and the ability to wield a keyblade. Anyways, that's Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Back to Common Rider. 
Jen walks in and fires his gun into the air, scattering the audience. God, he just just walks in and just smiling, just fucking firing into the air. Which felt far too real to see a man with a real gun walk into a crowded area and just start firing. Really, the fact that it's a real-ass gun is... It does so much fucking lifting for this guy. (laughs) Jin plants an MJ belt onto Sene and connects her to MJ.net. Tazawa rushes up to Sene, much to Jin's confusion. Jin asks Arta why Tazawa is continuing to protect Sene, even though she's a Magia now. And Arto says, hey, that's what makes them parents. Arto says that it's natural for parents to protect their children and to even die for them. This stirs something in Jin, and he tries taking the belt off of Sene, but she transforms into the Gairu Magia. I just want to say, when when he does put the belt on her originally, and hands her the, the little funny cassette tape key, he, like, jiggles it, so it's like, hey, no, grab this. Come on. But, yeah, interestingly, the, the Gairu is a type of frog species that went extinct in the 80s and has the distinction of being what's called a gastric brooding species. It's a cool frog. Yeah, they and they house their young in their stomachs, so... That explains the attack later, okay. And it's also kind of symbolic of parents protecting their children. Also, continuing the trend of frogs and common Rider, for some reason, using explosives. Also, it's the reason he freaks out is because it's like, wait, parents protect children? And like remembering Hirobi saying, no, you're strong enough to protect yourself. I don't need to protect you. Aruto henshins and begins fighting this new Magia, as Jin is having kind of a freak out. Then Hirobi shows up. Yep, and he's got a katana. Hirobi is here to ruin everything. Jin asks if he's there to protect him, and Hirobi harshly shuts Jin down. He tells Jin that he is a humagir that was created and that it is time to complete his task. And he gives him a funny new belt. It's it's got a yellow on it. It's different. He get it's I think it's a proper driver instead of mm-hmm. just the generic MJ.net belt. He slaps it onto Jin and slots in the Falcon key, painfully transforming Jin into Common Rider Jin. Force rise, flying Falcon, break down. Uh, it's uh, that belt is called the Metsubo Genrai Force Riser. Uh, which the reason it's called that is because it forces the Progress keys open. Because unlike uh, unlike Aruto and uh, Yua, they don't have authorization to use the the Progress keys. I thought it was called the Force Rise because it forced him to rise. Both are applicable. Zero One tries fighting the enemy Magia Rider duo, but they prove too strong. He gets chomped. He gets chomped by a big frog. If only there was someone here with the power of three common riders in one. <laughs> Fortunately, an Ames van pulls up and Yua steps out. There's also a bit where uh, Jin knocks Aruto down and just tries to rip the key out of the, the driver belt. Yeah, because now he's defaulted to the task that Jin gave him, which was get the progress keys. Yua comes in and she assumes rushing cheetah form and dashes into the fray. The Gairu makes some trilobites as backup, but Valkyrie ends up using the Lightning Hornet key to change forms. Thunder. Lightning Hornet is honestly just a f- amazing suit. 
It is a fucking sweet design. It's a piercing needle with incredible force. Bow chicka wow wow. Oh, also, uh, when Yua is fighting uh, the the Garu Mangia, Aruto's like, "Hey, don't don't kill her," and she's like, "Listen, if you had taken care of her, we wouldn't have been in this mess." Valkyrie ends up dominating the fight as she electrocutes a lake that the Garu flees into. She flies around, fires beads out of her chest. Yep. And she shoots a bunch of beams that sort of combine into a sword-shaped construct, which goes into the lake and electrocutes it. Thunder. Lightning blast fever. This causes the Gairu to rocket straight into the air. And then Valkyrie flies around and turns her leg into like a blade and stabs straight through it. It's a big stinger. Because she's the lightning hornet. Uh, also, she expresses the knowledge that Arto is zero one. She calls him the president, and I thought at first that only Fuwa knew that. No, no, he said he said it in he did the the thing from the Iron Man movie where he just went into a press conference and was like, "Hey, I'm zero one." No, he he only no he didn't in the second episode. I thought did he not? He, no, this is the exact same thing that happened to me. I had just <laughs> finished watching the episode, and I was like. No, 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 he didn't do it in that episode, but when, after Fu was like, no, y'all are keeping so many fucking secrets. And then Aruto was like, all right, you're right, we do keep too many secrets. I'm zero one. No, no, he only, he, he does that in Daybreak Town when he transforms in front of Fuwa. I thought he said, I thought he like made a formal announcement and they talked about it as like uh, afterwards, like a news announcer was like. Zero one. No, that that news announcement was just about revealing the what actually happened in Daybreak with the uh, kid's father, like shutting down the factory so that only that so that the human gears would be destroyed. This is exactly what happened to me. But like, who was all about not covering things up or lying? So he probably just was like. Going around town being like, hey, did you know that uh, Aruto Hiden is Kamen Rider 01? Hey, did you know that Aruto Hiden is Kamen Rider 01? I'm Bosch von Rosenberg. Hey, I got that. I got that reference. FF12. Yep. There, there's a part of the game where you just go around shouting shit to try to get the cops' attention. Oh, now I remember. I, I love Final Fantasy 12. Like, I know what you're talking about. I just couldn't remember the name. Anyway, uh, Fuwa apparently told at least Yua about Zero One's identity. Yeah, I imagine all of Ames knows. Yeah. Vulcan comes up during the fight and tries backing up Valkyrie. Yeah, tries backing up Valkyrie against Jin. They do a double fever. They both do their move fever. Like, uh, in punching Kong form, Vulcan ends up slamming the ground and sending out a shockwave, which gets electrocuted by... Valkyrie, it's pretty cool. Uh, but Jin just flies away. The shockwave causes the ground to like ripple like water, even though it's concrete and should just be exploding from that amount of sheer forces on it. Like, I'm an engineer, so trust me when I say concrete doesn't bend like that. It shouldn't bend like that. But this is magic. It, it is in unreality, so yeah. Back at Daybreak Town, Jen seems to have forgotten all of his newfound empathy for other families. Jen turns over the Gairu's progress key to Hirobi, who praises him for a job well done. Uh, so, okay, so that's the one. I thought he held it over, because it was right after he de 
So I, I thought it was the wing key, but like all super fucked up. No, it was green, whereas Falcon's purplish pink. Yeah, I thought it was just got like super fucked up from being forced open and used. Uh, it's because uh, they're putting all the uh, um, used uh, extinction keys uh, in that machine. Yeah, that makes sense. I just didn't remember, and he had just detransformed. So <laughs> that makes sense. In Aruto's office, Izu informs Aruto that Tozawa has a replacement AI that solely emulates his daughter's voice without the body. It's just a funny little droid. Yeah, it's just a voice box, literally, and it. Have a good day, Papa. I think that is creepier. I think that is creepier because it's just an Alexa unit, but with the sound of your dead child. I mean, I, I think it has the same programming as Sene, so I think it's a, I think it's a creature approaching sentience that just sounds like your daughter but has no body. It's just a fucking Alexa. <laughs> when it becomes self-aware, it's going to be horrified that it's just a box. It's going to be like a gonk droid. Is this is this a I have no mouth and I must scream situation? Arto voices a belief that AI helping people mourn can be a good thing. He then makes a pun on I and AI, and that's the episode. Yep, love is I. I the, you're you're no selling that fucking bit. That bit was so funny uh, because only his best joke yet. Yeah, not only is the joke like stellar, good joke, um, but. Ease's reaction to it of just like slowly it's like they slowly do the YMCA dance I th- uh, and then she's like oh that was a joke that was a work of art and Aruto just losing his shit as he's like that was a work of art so <laughs> it's really cute I-, I love this state of Izu where it's like she's m- like over under she's probably past singularity but just doesn't act that much different because she's Izu. <laughs> I, I just love characters with flat affects like that who are... Because they remind you of yourself? Yeah, you're not wrong. That's why we love you, Adam. Yay. Your, your, your level tone and decision to not blow out the microphones is probably the only reason we have any fans remaining. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's That means a lot. Anyway, we're moving on to Writer of the Week. And I'm going to give that to Jin. It was kind of fleeting, but he briefly became more than just Hirobi's murder baby. This very much was Jin's episode, yeah. I'm going to give it to Ease. Solely for her reaction to the joke at the very end. Yeah, it was quite possibly the best thing in the show so far. And Anna? Uh, Jin as well. To tarot corner. I'm giving the six of cups to the themes expressed in this episode in general. The six of cups represents unconditional familial love. It, yeah, I just think it's too good. It's always great when the tarot corner lines up like that. Because, like, there are three different ways the tarot corner goes. Like, I would say maybe, like, 10 50 percent of the time you can't really find a good one to fit then like a solid 60 percent of the time it fits pretty well but it's like a good fit not a perfect fit then the rest of the time it's a perfect fit and like when i read it on the uh notes that adam gives us at the beginning of the episodes i'm just like oh shit and that's just my favorite 
it's my favorite time to have the tarot corner. See, this always is a prize for me because I never open those notes. And now you have a dub segment that I'm not a part of. I don't have a joke this week. <laughs> oh, okay. You want me to give you my backup one that I thought of that I was going to use next week? No, no. I, I'm going to live with this shame. All right. In that case, I have, I have, I have the perfect joke that was only made possible by this episode. I, I won't ask you to butt in to my uh, joke. I just tried to make a butt joke with the because of the thing with. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. No, d- don't all write that. That was no, no. See, I think the only thing. Yeah, just if we're workshopping here. Yeah. If you would have just like brought up the mannequin slightly as part of that. I would have immediately understood that it was a callback and the joke would have landed. I know. I'm just, I have a little bit of a, I don't know. Today's not, today's your day, Cassidy. Go get him, girl. Do you know what happens to a gay Rumagio when it gets hit by a lightning hornet? The same thing that happens to everything else. The same thing that happens to everything else. And that's how you know it's double A. Yeah. X-Men. Okay. <laughs> That broke Anna for some reason. Uh, so. It's a good joke. <laughs> Great joke, but Adam just going right X Men. Yeah, that just fucking killed me. I'm sorry. That Adam doing that is the exact same as Eve just like slowly raising her hands and just going A I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's get to episode ratings. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Jin had an interesting arc for this episode. Valkyrie's new form was dope in both aesthetics and abilities. It, we've already discussed the whole thing about having AI replace dead loved ones. I think it's an interesting thing to explore, even if I don't entirely agree with the conclusion that the show comes to. But yeah. So I'm going to be giving it a 9 out of 10. And that's partially because... This episode is really important in hindsight. Like, I'm not going to give any, like, just looking back on this episode, seeing the start of so many plot lines and character actions and stuff like that, like getting more of uh, Yua Yaiba's mystery employer, uh, getting to see Kamen Rider Jin's first transformation, uh, the beginning of talking about AI in relation to family rather than just as a relation to the workforce. I would say that that brings it up to a 9 out of 10 for me because I know how well these things it brings up pays off. Which technically isn't fair to judge it that way, but I'm completely biased. So You've also watched this before, and I think it's actually kind of important to have the perspective of someone who's seen this already. Can I get, like, a refresher on what I've given previous episodes? Uh, episode 1 was a 9. Episodes 2 and 3 were a 10. And episode 8 for... Epi- uh, episode 4, you gave an 8. And episode 5, you gave a 7.5. Um, I'll give this one a 7.5. I, I, I know that I agree with a lot of the things that you were saying. I know for a fact that I think, like... If I were to list all the things in like a, a positive or a negative column, it's going to be a mostly positive episode. But like, I don't know. The vibes are just weird. Vibes are weird today, y'all. No, I, I totally get that. 
like in the end, the episode rating isn't a mechanical thing you can do. It's whether or not you enjoyed the episode, you know, and like your gut feeling on things you can't explain is a big part of it. Like I have a gut feeling about the uh, relationship between uh, Tazawa and uh, Sene. And I understand that I'm giving it like a worse rap than it should have in my brain, but that's just the way I feel about it. So I can't say no, just because you don't have bad vibes and you can give it a 7.5. I, I think I, I also was expecting to like lightning Hornet more based on the design that I saw, but like seeing it in motion was actually kind of not as good. So I, I did, I did what, look at what it looked like and I saw it in the, the next time on, but like, I don't know. Now it's time for everyone's favorite part of the episode. The ending. (laughs) (laughs) We have to end it there. We can't do our points this time, Cassidy. Cassidy Cassidy was too good on that. That was too good. (laughs) That's what I thought you were doing. I entirely (laughs) forgot about plugs. I've done three. This is my third podcast of the day, and I've forgotten how podcasts work. I'll put it all in the episode description. Cho Henshin, go, go, go. Cho. (laughs) Shade.